Hello, small group leaders. Welcome to the Small Group Leaders Podcast for week three of our current sermon series, Made for More. I'm your host, Roy McMillan, and I can't believe we're at the halfway point in this series. It's been exciting for me as we walk through the lives of several biblical characters whose lives illustrate that we are all made for more. I hope you have been enjoying the choice of either exploring the biblical character from the sermon or looking at the life of a second character in the study guide as you lead your group discussions each week. The discussions in my own group have been amazing, and I hope that they've been that way for your group as well. When you have time, I'd love to hear about how things are going in your groups, so send me an email or a text and let me know how your groups are being touched by this series. As we head into this third week, I'm hoping to start visiting some of your groups. I'll contact you ahead of time to let you know if and when I'll visit your group this week. This week, as I'm sure you know, we'll have a guest speaker, Pastor Willie Alfonso, who serves as chaplain to the New York Yankees. Pastor Willie has visited Evangel before, and he's an incredible speaker who has an amazing testimony. So you definitely don't want to miss this Sunday's services. The biblical character that Pastor Willie will be looking at in his message will be King Jehoshaphat. So the first page of this week's study guide focuses on Jehoshaphat. I'm happy to say that the second page will focus on the first female character in this study, Esther. Now, remember that all of your group members will have been sent a copy of the study guide in advance of your group's meeting. Encourage them to look through the study guide before you meet, reading the questions and the scripture passages listed, and thinking about how they will respond to the questions asked. So let's jump into the study guide. As with each week, the first page of this week's study guide starts off with questions reflecting on the sermon. The first asks us to share what stood out to us as particularly helpful, difficult, insightful, or challenging. The second then asks us to share about something that was said that we're being prompted to apply in our own lives. Pastor Willie Alfonso has such a great testimony, and so it will not be surprising if these questions generate lots of great discussion. If your group will be using the study on Jehoshaphat, and all you get to are these questions, that's okay. Follow the prompt of the Holy Spirit as he guides your discussions. This week's Digging for More section has three bullet points, followed by a series of questions focused on the story of Jehoshaphat and how we can apply what we learn about him to our own lives. For the first bullet point, have someone in the group read 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 41 to 50. This passage summarizes the life and reign of King Jehoshaphat, the son of King Asa. Jehoshaphat was one of Judah's eight good kings, and like his father Asa, he followed in the ways of David and sought to do what was pleasing in the sight of God. But despite being a good king and an excellent leader, Jehoshaphat also got involved in a number of compromises. The first question here asks, what were the compromises that you see in the summary of Jehoshaphat's reign in 1 Kings 22? 
The text points to three compromises. The first compromise was the bride compromise. Jehoshaphat made an alliance with Ahab, the king of Israel, by having his son Jehoram marry Ahab's daughter. And this proved disastrous when Jehoshaphat died and Jehoram became king of Judah. Second Chronicles 21.4 tells us that Jehoram killed all of his brothers and some of the other leaders of Judah. Jehoram did not follow in the example of his father, but rather followed the example of the kings of Israel, and he was as wicked as King Ahab, his father-in-law. So this first compromise led to the battle compromise, when Jehoshaphat aligned himself with Ahab in battle. The result of this compromise was that Jehoshaphat nearly lost his life, and he angered the Lord as well. The third compromise was the boat compromise. Here, Jehoshaphat foolishly joined forces with Ahab's son, Ahaziah, and tried to get rich by importing foreign goods. But the Lord wrecked his fleet and then rebuked him for his sinful alliance. The next question points out that when we make compromises in our lives, they can pull us away from the more that God has made us for. It then asks, what are some compromises that can interfere with reaching the full potential that God has for us? Some thoughts that come to my mind are marrying someone who does not share your beliefs, vices like gambling and drinking, getting involved in get-rich-quick schemes, and aligning ourselves with people or causes that go against the Word of God. The last question for this bullet point asks us to share how we have experienced compromise in our own lives. Now, this may be a tough one. It's not easy to admit to, admit to compromise, and especially if it's something you're currently deal dealing with. The question may be met with silence at first, but give time for the Holy Spirit to speak into the hearts of your group before you move on to the next question. And as always, be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit if someone's answer to this question leads to an opportunity to encourage or comfort them. For the next bullet point, have someone read 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verses 28 to 34. Here we read that Jehoshaphat made an alliance with the wicked King Ahab of Israel that nearly cost Jehoshaphat his life. Because his son was now part of Ahab's family, Jehoshaphat had to be friendly toward Ahab and help him to fight his battles. Now this stirred God's anger against Jehoshaphat, and it also nearly cost Jehoshaphat his life. But God saved Jehoshaphat from certain death, because he had made him for more. The questions here ask how, why, and what. How did God save Jehoshaphat's life? Why did God save him despite the fact that Jehoshaphat had angered God? And what does this tell us about God? The answer to the first question, how, can be found in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verses 30 to 32, which reads, 
Meanwhile, the king of Aram had issued these orders to his chariot commanders. Attack only the king of Israel. Don't bother with anyone else. So when the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. There is the king of Israel, they shouted. But Jehoshaphat called out, and the Lord saved him. God helped him by turning the attackers away from him. As soon as the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel, they stopped chasing him. So Jehoshaphat called out to God, and God turned away the attackers. The answer to the next question, why, does not have a definitive answer. What we're looking for here is for those in your groups to share what they think is the reason. Answers could be that he's a loving God, he's faithful, he's merciful, forgiving, a God of grace, or all of the above. There's probably no wrong answer here. And then the answers to the what question may be similar to those of the why question. So these two questions could actually be asked together. For the final bullet point on the first page of the guide, have one or more of your group members read 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1-30. to This passage outlines one of Jehoshaphat's greatest achievements, and it's one of my personal favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's the story of the defeat of the Moabites, Ammonites, and Edomites who had banded together to attack Judah. Judah's victory in this battle resulted in a kingdom that was at peace. The first question here asks us to identify those key events that led to the victory realized in this passage. Now, Jehoshaphat had received the alarming news that this vast army of their combined enemies was quickly marching against Judah. The news terrified Jehoshaphat, but it also put into motion some key events, some actions on the part of Jehoshaphat and Judah that resulted in victory. The first event, two actions on the part of Jehoshaphat, is found in verse 3. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. Rather than try in his own strength to come up with a battle plan, Jehoshaphat got on his knees and sought God's divine guidance, and then he ordered all of Judah to fast. This led to the next event, found in verse 4. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. All of Judah began to seek the Lord's help. So the first two events that led to the victory were prayer and fasting. The next event came after Jehoshaphat prayed an incredibly powerful prayer, which is found in verses 6 through 12. When Jehoshaphat finished praying, the Holy Spirit came upon a Levite named Jehaziel. And Jehaziel began to prophesy, saying, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, <coughs> march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz, at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel, 
but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Now, this prophetic word led to the next key event, praise and worship. Jehoshaphat and all of Judah began praising and worshiping the Lord. They knew that he was on their side. They knew that he would ensure their victory over the enemies who sought to destroy them. And then the next morning, Jehoshaphat appointed the singers to lead the army of Judah as they went out to meet the enemy. They fought not with the weapons of the world, but with the heavenly weapon of praise. The result? The Lord caused the armies of Judah's enemies to start fighting among themselves. When the army of Judah arrived, not a single one of the enemy was left alive. What an incredible story! The final question here asks how we can apply this to our lives. Just as Judah had enemies that sought to destroy them, we have an enemy who seeks to destroy us. And he'll do whatever he can to cause us to despair, to become discouraged, and to cringe in fear when facing difficult circumstances. When that happens, we need to follow the example that we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We need to seek the Lord's guidance through prayer and fasting, and we need to give him the praise for the victory that, through him, will come. Well, that's it for the first page of the study guide. The second page, exploring more through Esther, takes a look at the life of Queen Esther and how her story illustrates the life of a person who was made for more. There are four bullet points in this study, each beginning with a scripture reading and ending with a series of questions based on that reading. Some of the readings are a little bit lengthy, so I would encourage your groups to read through them prior to the group meeting. You can have someone read them at the meeting as well, but it will take time away from the actual discussions. The readings for the first of the four bullet points are Esther chapter 3, verses 8 to 15, and Esther chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. In these passages, <clears throat> we have the story of Esther, a beautiful Jewish girl who is made a part of the harem of King Xerxes. Through a chain of events, Esther eventually is made queen. While serving as queen, Esther learns, through her cousin Mordecai, of a plot that's being put into action by Xerxes' evil prime minister, Haman, a plot to kill all of the Jews in Xerxes' kingdom. Mordecai asks Esther to plead with Xerxes on behalf of the Jews and says, Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? In the eyes of God, Esther was made for more than to just be the queen of a Gentile king. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are, call, and are called according to his purpose for them. God had a purpose for Esther, and although God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, we can clearly see God working behind the scenes. 
In the life of Esther, God's hand is evident in the events that unfold in the story. The questions here may bring to mind the first of the seven values of Evangel Church. Jesus is the author of our story. The questions here are, How have you seen this to be true in your own life? In what ways have you seen God's hand in your story? What we're looking for is examples of how each of us has seen God cause everything to work together for good in our lives as we embrace the call to fulfill His purpose, the more that He has for each of us. We're looking for people to share the ways in which they have seen God's hand in their stories. As those in your group share their responses, be sure to encourage them and thank them for sharing. We all have a story to tell, and Jesus is the author of those stories. The reading for the second bullet point is Esther chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. Here we read that, in response to the request that she received from Mordecai to plead with the king on behalf of the Jews, Esther orders Mordecai to gather the Jews together to fast, just as she will do, for three days and nights. Esther tells Mordecai that she will go into see Xerxes and plead with him, an action that, as we read in Esther 4.11, may lead to her losing her life. In that verse, Esther told Mordecai that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. Now the king had not called for Esther to come to him for 30 days, so for her to go to him uninvited could be a death sentence. Despite this, Esther is willing to do it, and she tells Mordecai, if I must die, I must die. The first question here relates to Esther. What does Esther's response tell you about her character? Well, I see a few things. The first thing that comes to my mind is courageous. I'm sure she feared for her life, but she was willing to move beyond that fear. The second thing I see is loyal. Despite the fact that she was living as the queen of a Gentile king, Esther was loyal to her people and to her God. And a third thing I see is decisive. Esther knew what she had to do, and she didn't hesitate to do it. The next question asks us to apply what we see in this part of Esther's story to our own lives. Now, Esther fasted and prayed when Mordecai made his request to her to help her people. And then she was willing to make a sacrifice, in her case, the ultimate sacrifice, putting her life on the line for the sake of others. Like Esther, when God calls us for his purpose, we may need to practice certain spiritual disciplines and we may, be, and we may need to be willing to make sacrifices. So the question is, how have you seen this to be true in your life? Ask your group to share the disciplines they have needed to practice and the sacrifices that they have had to make in order to live out the more God has made them for. In the next bullet point, we look at not just one biblical woman, but two. The scripture passages here are Ruth 1, 16-17, and Esther 4, 
15 to 16. In the stories of both Esther and Ruth, we see beautiful examples of women committed to God. Both of them surrendered themselves to God's purpose for their lives, and both were used by God to accomplish great things, to live out the more that they were made for. For Ruth, that more was to become a part of God's plan for Israel to bring a Savior into the world. And for Esther, it was to help preserve the nation of Israel so that that Savior could be born. In the story of Esther, we see that God gave her the opportunity to surrender herself to his purpose, to use her life for the more that she was made for in serving him and his people. And Esther didn't hesitate. She seized that opportunity. Our questions here are, has God given you opportunities to surrender your life to his purpose so that you could live out the more you were made for? If so, how have you responded? Now, you may find that some members of your group may struggle with this question, either because they haven't taken the opportunities that God has given them, or they don't think that God has given them opportunities to surrender, his to surrender to his purpose for their lives. In either case, encourage them to pray and to ask God to reveal his will for them, to reveal his purpose for their lives. Pray with them in your group prayer time. The last bullet point in this study references 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 21 to 23, a passage that focuses on David. Now, last week we looked at David's life and we saw a life that was far from perfect. But we also saw a life that reflected a heartfelt desire to serve the Lord through faithfulness. Esther is also far from perfect. She hid the fact that she was a Jew, becoming part of the harem of a Gentile king, which means she did not observe the law of Moses. But Esther, like David, was used by God for the more that she was made for. God uses imperfect people. David and Esther are just two examples of that. That means that he can use any one of us. So the final question asks us to share how knowing that makes us feel, and what it tells us about the God that we serve. For me, it gives me the confidence to step into what I feel God, God is calling me to do. I'm far from perfect. I've messed up more times than I care to admit, and yet I believe that God can still use me. That tells me that I serve a God who is not just faithful, not just merciful and loving, but a God who is a God of second chances, a God who desires to have his children carry out his work for him in this fallen world that we live in. Well, that's it for this week's study guide. I hope that this was helpful for you as you lead your group this week. In the small group leaders training that we did this year, one of the things that I mentioned as a goal for small groups was to serve together. Before I close this podcast in prayer, I'd like to mention an opportunity for your group to serve together. Sunday, April 21st is Easter Sunday, which is a day that traditionally brings many guests and many new people into our church. And with the recent growth in our attendance, 
We're anticipating an even greater number of people attending services on Easter Sunday than ever before. For that reason, we'll have four services on Easter, 7.30 a.m., 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m. Going to four services means an increased need for people to volunteer to serve in areas such as hospitality. We'll need more greeters, more ushers, and a parking team. And that presents an opportunity for groups to serve together. In the email containing the link to this podcast, there's also a link to a form. If your group would be interested in serving together in hospitality at one or more of the four Easter Sunday services, please fill out and submit this form. Indicate what service or services you're interested in, what area or areas of hospitality you would like to be considered for, and then list the names of all group members who wish to participate. I'll pass this information on to the ministry leaders and someone will contact you. Well, that's all for this week. I pray that you have a blessed week and a great time in your groups. Father God, we give you all the praise for the opportunities that you give us to build community and to study your word together in small groups. I thank you for these group leaders and for the willingness that they have to open their hearts and to open their homes to others as we seek to live out the one another's of Scripture. I ask that you bless these leaders, bless their families, and bless their groups. I ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for all you do, and God bless you as you lead this week.